there and uh, get into get into our lesson this morning. The Bible says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather here. Thank you for your word. We ask and pray, Lord, as we study this lesson this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts Teach us and remind us about missions and the importance of it. Really, Lord, it is your heartbeat reaching the lost. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'd also bless the Sunday school classes downstairs, that you'd bless, uh, Lord, the morning worship service and the junior church to follow. We just pray that today you'd meet with us in a special way. And uh, thank you again for your love and for your mercy. And thank you for your grace Help me as I teach this lesson in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 13, 1 through, 1 through 4. So on our introductory, on the, on the handout that I gave you, so the scripture is clear that God desires that mankind be saved. And Christ commissioned the local church to be the vehicle that carries the gospel into the world. So when Christ ascended into heaven, he left the church with a daunting task. I think if I remember correctly, they say today there's what about, is it closing in or have we surpassed what they estimate to be 8 billion people in the world? Right? Does that sound about right? 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. 8 billion people. And um, that's a lot of people to reach with the gospel. But in Matthew chapter 28, which is also on your handout, what's often referred to as the Great Commission, the Bible says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Preaching the gospel and, and getting the gospel out to people. And of course, uh, it doesn't take long. If you attend here long, you've known that since the very beginning, uh, the history of Mount Greylock Baptist Church, uh, it's been a missions-minded church. So for those of you that don't know, this church actually started in... Um, 1981 was the first year, it was then called First Bible Baptist Church, but by 1982, the church was supporting missionaries, and uh, in itself was a missions church. There are churches that helped this church get started. So, uh, and then just from context, so you say, well, this building looks like it was built before 1982. Yeah, this building was built in 1890, and had been used also as a missions outreach 
primarily for Sunday school kids uh, in the early or late 19, uh, 1800s, early 1900s, and then was used for various groups throughout the years. But anyhow, going into all the world and teaching the gospel, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it's not on your handout, but the Bible says this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for the long-suffering of God. I mean, I heard, I heard the gospel my whole life growing up, and I didn't accept Christ as my Savior until I was 24 years old. And uh, that's 24 years that, that the Lord was patient uh, with me, and I'm thankful for that. But he's long-suffering toward usward. He, and then the Bible says this, not willing that any should perish, but that all, the Bible says, should come to repentance. God is a missionary God. 2 Timothy 2.4, it says of Christ, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So what's the strategy that was laid out? And what's the technique that's used? Well, the Bible's our book of patterns. And in Acts chapter number 13, the pattern is given so that we can understand how um, to effectively reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really amazing when you think of the spread of Christianity in the early church, and they didn't have any of the conveniences that we have today. In fact, I was telling somebody this past week, uh, we were talking about technology, and I forget the whole reason we were talking about this, but I remember that, you know, we, we put the missions uh, letters up in the back for you to read, and then this morning there'll be a missions moment in your bulletin. And so today, uh, the missionary types the letter on the internet, pushes a button, and you instantly know what's going on. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that they used to have to mail the letters, and you'd get a missionary letter mailed to you, and it might have been the missions letter from whatever took place in July, but you're not receiving it until August. So you're, you know, they ask you, if they ask you to pray for things, it was a month late. Uh, and so that's been a good thing that we know what's going on in the, on the mission field quicker now. But that's in, in the age in which we live. Just think about the missionary movement when it started the modern missionary movement started in the late 1700s and early 1800s and the obstacles that they faced. Uh, and then you go all the way back to, again, the early church and the obstacles that they faced. And yet God's commission was given, and it's still given today for us to go and reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our, uh, in our Bibles, in Acts chapter 13, you notice this in verse number one. We have three points for you this morning on our lesson. And first, we want to look at the context of missions, the context of it in verse one. Again, it says here, now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. I'm just, I'm just going to stop there. The church, a local church, the church in Antioch. And I don't know if they were able to find it. I asked if they could, uh, before the uh, uh, lesson started. There it is right there, Antioch on the screen. I was hoping to show it in context of where Jerusalem was. So I thought there would be a bigger map. So anyhow, um, you see Antioch there. 
And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, it's hard for me to see with the sun here shining. All right, so yeah. So the, the church in Jerusalem would have been somewhere down around here, right? Because it's not on there. Just, that's Israel. And then the church spread to Antioch. Well, how did the church spread to Antioch? How did it get to Antioch? Anybody know? That's my quiz question this morning. Yes, Frank. Huh? Walk. <laughs> well, yeah, they had a walk to get to Antioch, but there was a... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But there were certain events that took place. I guess that's what I'm asking. Why would you? Huh? Why would you go there? Is that what you're asking? No, there was events that the, the Bible records in the book of Acts that led to, to the church. In fact, on your hand, look on your handout. It kind of gives you the hint here. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So how then, obviously, according to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, how did a church end up in Antioch? Yeah, the church in Jerusalem was persecuted. And so the people spread. They left. They moved on. And if you remember, there was... They were told, they, they were told to, uh, I'm going to move this over here. The sun is driving me crazy. The church in Jerusalem was told in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they didn't, they didn't take that. And the Lord said, when the Holy Ghost is given, and they didn't take that commission and they didn't go. They kind of stayed. And it was through the persecution. And then they were pushed out. And as they were pushed out, uh, then churches were established in these cities. And just like Frank astutely said, they walked to, to these cities. And um, these churches got started there. But the church in Antioch, um, much like we talked last week about the church in Thessalonica, that was a hub city, Thessalonica. And Antioch also was a hub city for, for, for what was about to take place. In fact, you notice uh, in Acts chapter number 13, the group that was in this local church and the international nature of this church that was there. So look what it says there again in verse number one. There was prophets there and teachers, and then they named them, Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, uh, which had been, caught, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And there's a reason that they're listed in the Bible, not just so that we know who their names are, but if you just did, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but if you just did a little background search on, on these five that are listed here, they all come from different backgrounds in different places. So it's very international. Years ago, I went to a conference in New York City and heard a preacher at this conference, and he pastored a church just over the river in New Jersey. And one of the things, he left there eventually, and he went to Tennessee and started a ministry there as well and a college. But one of the things he really, um, one of the things that was different in Tennessee than in New Jersey was the church in New Jersey was a very international 
church because you had people from all over the world who moved to the New York City area and to the suburbs. And he really loved that. And uh, I, that's the neat thing when you, about Christianity, that if people from all different backgrounds, all different places, uh, all different nation groups, all different economic levels, all different educational levels, there's common ground, as has been said before, there's common ground at the foot of the cross. Common ground. Amen? And uh, that's a neat thing. And so these individuals, so Barnabas, uh, who was a Levite, and as mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, you have Simeon called Niger in the Latin. He's a, he, this is a black man, uh, undoubtedly. That's what most Bible scholars teach. Lucius. Uh, here's another quiz. So Lucius is from Cyrene. Uh, that's in North Africa. So there's a very uh, in, uh, important part of the Bible where there's somebody else from Cyrene who is mentioned in regards to Jesus and the crucifixion. Anybody remember that? that this would be a little bit tougher quiz question. Huh? This, this Cyrene that, we're, that I have here, this where it says, um, Lucius, he was from Cyrene. Cyrene is in northern Africa. So in the Gospels, with regards to Jesus and an event that took place, there is an individual who's mentioned. In fact, I'll give you his name. His name is Simon, who's from Cyrene. What role did he play in the Gospels, Frank? He helped carry the cross. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't double check. Um, I think I read that quite possibly. I think I read this some years ago that Lucius of Cyrene may have been Simon's son, but we're not sure about that. But he's from the same region. Simon had come from northern Africa to Jerusalem because he had heard about Christ, and Christ is crucified. And then there is the carrying the cross. Uh, so you see these links. And then you had Menaean. This man would have had a Roman influence. And of course, Saul, Jewish background. And if you read in the book of Acts, you find too in the early church, in so many of the churches, there, what, it's recorded there in Acts that these people were of one mind and they were of one accord. And um, maybe perhaps one of the churches that wasn't so much of one mind and one accord is the church in Corinth. That church had a lot of problems. Uh, but this church here in Antioch and the church in Jerusalem, the people, they were of one mind and they were of one accord. But these are local churches. I really believe in the local church. In the New Testament, when you see the word church, I think roughly it's found, uh, I think about 115 times in the New Testament. I think uh, the majority of the times that you see the word church, it means a local called out assembly of believers. Now, there are some other instances where it talks about the church um, meaning all Christians that will make up the one future church that the Bible speaks about. But more times than not, it's about the local church. And, and I believe all, whether we're talking about missions or whatever we're talking about, the local church is the instrument, the organization by which Jesus is the cornerstone of the church to 
teach and preach the gospel and to spread the gospel throughout the world. So this local church there in Antioch, but also because of what the Bible says in verse number one, the prophets and teachers, these are people who love the word of God. So this is on the back of your handout. This is a learning church uh, where the teaching was done and people would understand for themselves, just like it's so important today for you to understand for yourself the word of God and what the word of God says. And so why you bring lessons like these is just to show, show from the Bible, why do we support missionaries? Um, what's the context? Why, why the, the, the approximately 40 missionaries that we as a church support, they all come out of local churches. They're not out of this particular local church, but they come out of a local church. They come here and they present the work that God's called them to. And then they go and whatever country God's called them to, they preach the gospel. But they then are, um, and then they go into, into countries and they start local churches. And so the pattern is done again and again and again. But then the missionary, while he is, because he receives finances from us, but he's accountable to his local church. And uh, again, You'll find, if, and we're not going to look at it today, but in the book of Acts, you'll find Paul will return to Antioch and Paul will report to what they had done as they went on his three missionary journeys. But this church, it's a learning church. And um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, for you and I to study, show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the study of God's Word, the study of God's Word is really only valuable if there's application, right? Like many years ago, I knew a man who memorized a lot of Scripture. And uh, the problem was he didn't apply any of the Scripture. So you can memorize a lot of the Word of God, but if you don't apply it to your life, what, what good is it, right? It's like, uh, I mentioned this, I think, Wednesday. Um, I think it's in the book of James, where James uses the idea, of, he talks about the perfect law of liberty, and it's like the man who looks in a mirror. And if you look in the mirror, and you need, see your, your hair needs to be combed or, or, or whatever, uh, and then you, but you don't do anything about it and you leave, what good is the mirror? Well, the Bible is the same way. If you look in the Bible and you study the Bible and you see what God's word says, and then we don't make any application, then it's really not of much value, right? That makes sense, right? So, uh, anyhow, that's... Um, just a thought. So this church here, it's a, it's a learning church. This is a church that wants to know what God's word says. By the way, there's one other thing about the church in Antioch that, um, that, that maybe somebody here knows. Something happened in Antioch for the first time. Um, anybody know what that was? It's kind of a vague. Go ahead. Very good. They were called Christians first in Antioch. That was the first place that believers were called Christians. And uh, here's the second part of the question. Who, who called them that? 
those that were against them, exactly. That they weren't, it wasn't the friends that called them Christians. It was the, their enemies that called them Christians. So that also took place in the church in Antioch. So there's a lot that happens in this particular church. And uh, we're to be mindful of that. So this church here, it's a local church. It's a, it's a, local, uh, a learning church. We, I could have also put a third point here. It's a loving church. They cared for one another. But we'll move on to the next point. The calling of missionaries in verses 2 and 3. The calling of missionaries. Did you get a handout? Did Ethan get the handout? Okay. All right, so look, at, look again in verses, uh, Acts chapter 13, 2 and 3. So the Bible says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid, hands, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So three things here I'm going to point out. First of all, this is a church that's a serving church. Verse 2, they ministered. They ministered. And there's all different ways you can minister. You know, all of you had a, uh, my understanding is you had a great week at camp, and that was a way that you ministered, right? You went and you ministered. And if you are an adult and you went to camp, it's basically not what camp can do for me, but what I can do for camp, right? Because it's a tiring week. And um, so thank all of you who went and uh, those of you who have gone in the past. And I know that the campers, I'm sure, were thankful. I know that uh, Pastor Taylor, who heads up the camp, is thankful for workers. And so that's ministering. And that's what local churches do. They minister people in local churches. We minister. And everyone should be involved in ministry somehow or some form of ministry. On your handout, First Peter Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ministering. How can I help? What can I do? And as far as missions goes, you'll find this. And, and men, not just missions, but people who are called into full-time service, the Lord will call those who are already dedicated to the work through their local church. Get that? If, you're, if God's going to call someone to full-time service or into ministry, missions, pastor, whatever it might be, God will call someone who is already involved and working in the local church. Many years ago, I read an article about the comedian, uh, Lucille Ball. I never forgot this, and I've mentioned this. Some of you will probably remember. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, I, I have, so I'm going to mention it again. And so, Adam, do you remember what Lucille Ball said? Because you're kind of probably rolling your eyes at me. No, I just didn't know she was a comedian. Lucille Ball? I don't, I, you don't even know she, you know? I, it's I Love Lucy, but that's not like... She was one of the great comedians of her day. And, might I actually say, she could actually be funny and not use vulgar and foul language. And uh, at least for, for, for most of, I think, what, what I saw. But, uh, yeah, Lucille Ball, I can't... You, know, you didn't know that she was a comedian? I just thought she was an actress. No. She, the idol of Lucy. I didn't show. think she was that funny. Huh? 
Well, yeah, anyhow, not, not, to, not to belabor the whole Lucille Ball thing, but apparently many people did because she was a very popular person. Anyhow, she was very popular in, in her day. Um, and by the time, when I was a little boy by then, actually, she still had, she still had her popularity, but uh, I think it was probably in the late, in the 50s and, and early 60s that she was most popular. But anyhow, the point I'm trying to make is this, and, and this is probably now a, a, the older that you get, some of your illustrations are dated, right? So uh, bear with me. But those of you that are, are my age and around my age, you all remember Lucille Ball, right? <laughs> somebody, somebody said this. She said, if you want to get, this is what she said, if you want to get something done or you need to, somebody to get something done, she said, find the person who is the busiest and they'll get it done. So you would think, well, they're too busy to get it done. No, no. She said, find someone who's very busy and they'll get it done for you. So the point of that is, in a local church, when people are called into ministry, listen, God's not going to call someone to be a missionary or a pastor or a pastor's wife or whatever ministry, in a, and, and they're not doing anything in the local church. Right? right. They're, he's going to call someone who is who's busy in the local church and they're just serving. And this church there, this was a serving church. These men were serving there in, in this church. And um, it, if, you, if, you, if you desire to be in ministry, and you know these, this isn't new with me either, then before God calls you, you're going to have surrendered your talents to him. You're going to have surrendered your time to him. You're going to surrender your treasures to him. That's all part of the person that God is looking for. And these men that are listed here, and certainly the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Philippians, I count everything but dung that I may win Christ. He just, there was nothing more important to him. And it was just to serve the Lord. So we find here, when we talk about missions, we talk about a local church and people who in that church learn about what God desires. We talk about calling on missionaries. First, in this church, they're serving in verses 2 and 3. Again, verse 3, as they ministered in verse 2, to the Lord. And all ministry really is to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted and prayed. This is a praying church. And um, the importance of prayer. And I, and in fact, look on your hand at Acts 1.14. This is the verses I was mentioning earlier. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. This was the, this was the emphasis in the church in Jerusalem. This is an emphasis in the church in Antioch. Uh, this is an emphasis. We saw this on Wednesday night. I was preaching out of Philippians chapter number four. Uh, where it says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And uh, we talked about that and the importance of being a praying church. And uh, really the importance on when we gather for Wednesday night, uh, that there's time to pray as a group of people, to lift up our hearts and, uh, unto, unto the Lord. 
One of the most famous missionaries in history was a man by the name of William Carey, early missionary movement uh, in, the, in America, in, in, the, in the world. In the um, 1700s, he went to India. He was a cobbler, a shoe cobbler. Shoe, uh, he fixed shoes, and God called him from making shoes to uh, going to India. And for 42 years, he served the Lord in India. And someone once asked William Carey, they said, what is the secret of your success? And he said, the secret of my success is my sister. And they said, your sister? And he said, yes. And back in England, his sister was pretty much bedridden for much of her life. But you know what she could do for William Carey, her brother? She prayed for him. She just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She was a prayer warrior. So you see, depend, you might say, well, I would do more, but my health, well, everyone can pray. Um, and it's vital. I've, as far as missions go, I've often said our, our, our finances, what helps get the missionaries to the mission field, but our prayers are what keeps them on the mission field. And they, they depend on our prayers. And uh, many missionaries I've talked to, most missionaries that go to the mission field are probably supported by, oh, I don't know, 35, 40, 50 different churches. Most of those missionaries, they'll pray for those supporting churches because they want God's blessing on those churches. A lot of times missionaries are on the mission field and churches are struggling and they have to stop sending missions. Can you imagine you're on a mission field and you're thousands of miles from home, your family's there with you, and all of a sudden... Um, your finances begin to drop. And uh, you, know, you have to have finances to get home. I, I had a dear friend who uh, was on the mission field and his sending church was supporting him at $500 a month. And while he's on the mission field, that pastor retired and a new pastor took over and the new pastor just decided to drop their support. That's a lot of money per month, $500. And so these are some of the challenges that, that missionaries face. So you and I, when we're, when we're talked about camp or when we give to missions, that's part of serving. When, when we're praying, uh, it's not only the prayer aspect of it, that's serving the Lord and serving one another. And they were a fasting church. We don't really hear a lot today about fasting in prayer. Um, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, I, I was actually convicted about that. That like, when was the last time we preached or taught about fasting? And uh, I, I, I may put a lesson or two together with regards to that. But it was part of the early church. They fasted and they prayed. What, just real quickly, because we're, we're running out of time, but what is the if I was to ask you, what is the point and purpose of fasting? First of all, does everybody does anybody not know what fasting is? Somebody tell me what it, somebody tell me what is fasting? Somebody tell me. So if, if you all knew, so, yes. I don't know a whole lot about fasting, but I think it's my interpretation. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, I would say that it's. Um... <clears throat> Well, it has, depending on what fasting has to have a purpose, right? And they do the reason why you're fasting is that um, in my, the ways in why I would fast right now is 
to the flesh to basically um, weaken the flesh uh, to his uh, desires, the nature of desires, uh, and uh, allow you know, the Holy Spirit to work through me as I apply the word. Okay, there's, yes, there's a lot of truth to all of that. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Uh, it's to sacrifice something. A lot of times fasting involves not eating, uh, giving up something for the Lord. Yep, this, that's all part of it. What else? Anybody else? No, well, I think this is, a, uh, this is a lesson that needs to be taught, a, a lesson on fasting, because there's just, just a lot of uncertainty about what, what it all is. And... Uh, so maybe we'll talk about that, but, but again, I don't have time to get into a whole lesson on it. But someone said this, and I wrote this down. They said, fasting is a way to bring prayer to its fullest potential. Fasting is a way to bring prayer to its fullest potential. And uh, we'll talk about that but and, and get more into it. But just quickly, Matthew 6 on your handout, Jesus said this, moreover, when you fast. So I guess as believers, Jesus expects us to do some fasting. When you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. But in other words, they made a big show of it. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So anyhow, this church, they're serving, they're praying, they're a church that's fasting in prayer, and then the commencement of missions, they call the mission, these, these men to, to go. Verse 3, and when they had fasted, or no, verse 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. They sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from there they sent, they sailed to Cyprus. So they're ascending church. They sent them out of that church. They were members of that church. They were called uh, to, to, to the, Holy, the Holy Ghost spoke to them, and, and they were called to go. Because God is ascending God. John chapter 20, verse 21 on your handout. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, Jesus said, even so, send I you. One of my favorite verses in the Gospel of Luke, and it's always motivated me to have a bus ministry, is uh, where the Bible says, go into the highways and into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. God expects us to go. He expects us to go. And so this was also, lastly, a sacrificial church as well. There are times, sometimes, in a, in a, these were important people in this church. And uh, there are times when, when you wonder, why does God call this person out, or God calls this person out? They, they were just a, a vital part of the ministry there. And they were serving. And then God says, no, I want them to go, and I want them to go to another place and serve. But in that local church, you might say, well, you know, they, they, were, they were so vital to that church, and God was using them there. But we don't know what God's plan is, right? God's got his own plan. Uh, and these two that were called, Saul and, um, 
or Barnabas and Saul, they were, they were called out of that church. They were, they were teachers and, and prophets in that church, and they were called to go. So the church made that sacrifice, and uh, there's an element of that. Luke chapter 14 on our handout. And if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And again, if you're a new Christian, you said hate. You're supposed to hate your, 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 your father and your mother. It's not the kind of hate you're thinking about. It's, the Lord is using this as an example that you need to put him first. That um, and I and I we've run out of time, so I can't get into into all of, all of that. But it's it's a, just a picture in our minds that, in comparison to how much that we love the Lord, um, in comparison to relatives and family members and things that we're connected to, it's a sacrifice. And now let me just leave you with this. I used to always say that. You're always, you, every Christian should either be a goer or a sender when it comes to missions. Either you go because God's called you to go to missions or you send. But I don't believe that any longer. Every Christian should be both a goer and a sender. So what do I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. We, we send we send foreign missionaries, but we should all still be going here and sharing our faith with others here, right? Because remember that what Jesus said in Acts chapter number one, you should be witnesses unto me in, what was the first town? Jerusalem. That was where they all were. Are you a witness in Jerusalem? Are you a witness here in Adams, North Adams, in your community? And then he said, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And to, so we, we're involved in all aspects of it. But in the context of foreign missions going to a different country, then I guess I would say, yeah, we should either be a goer or we should be a sender. We either are called of God to go or we help get others to the mission field. And so be, be mindful of that. I'll leave you with one last uh, missionary story. I love missionary stories. And it's William Carey again. So Carrie was, uh, there was a man by the name of Andrew Fuller, and he knew of Carrie's, he was with Carrie, and they, uh, Carrie was telling them about the, the opportunities in India to preach the gospel. And Andrew Fuller thought that, that the opportunities, it was like a, he said, it's like a gold mine in India to bring the gospel to the people of India, like a gold mine, in which William Carey said it is a gold mine. And he said, I'll go down into the mine if you guys will hold the rope. So you know what he meant by that? You understand what he meant by that? So he's trying to paint a picture of a gold mine. And Carrie said, yeah, I'll descend down into the mine. I'll go down into India if you'll hold the rope. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, he, that, that if you'll help me get there and you'll support me financially and through prayer, I'll go. I'll be your representative. And so when we, today, when you open your bulletin, there'll be, I think, 10 missionaries that we support that are listed there. They've gone into whatever the mine is in that particular country. I'm, I forgot who I put in, the 10 that I put in this, this week. 
but we're holding the rope as they go and they preach the gospel to people in those different countries. And um, we have a part in that. So, I'm th and I'm thankful that we have a part in, in that. So it's a mandate for all of us. It's not to be a sideline. Missions is the front line. And uh, I hope that you're involved in missions, in giving and praying. Um, it's something that was instilled in me even before I was a Christian. My parents were involved in missions since the time I was a little boy. And uh, I remember sitting at the dining room table and uh, a missionary woman was there. She opened orphanages. Her name was uh, Martha Brenner. She went to Ecuador, Quito, Ecuador. And um, I remember her, they were raising money for a church. An Ecuadorian man was going to pastor the church at the orphanage. And I remember my dad saying he wouldn't have a part in that. And I never forgot that. Those little things, those of you that are raising children, missionaries at your house or having them around missionaries, those things resonate. They stick with you. So when I and Shelly and I became Christians, the whole idea of giving to the local church and giving to missions, it was just the way I was raised. So uh, be involved. Lord, bless now the morning worship service. Please let it bring honor and glory to you. Help Pastor Ethan as he preaches. Those that are working in junior church, bless all of their efforts as well. Thank you for the ministering that they have done and are about to do. Thank you for those, again, who went to camp and ministered there. Uh, just thank you for the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.